Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director, and welcome to the CNN political briefing. This isn't something I thought I'd ever say, but the historic vacancy of the Speaker of the House of Representatives continues after more than two weeks, started by the Republicans who are the majority party when they ousted their own leader. No person having received a majority, the whole number of votes cast by surname, a speaker has not been elected. On the other side of the aisle, Democrats wait to see if they'll be approached for a bipartisan deal. A vote today to make the architect of a nationwide abortion ban, a vocal election denier, and an insurrection insider to the Speaker of this House would be a terrible message to the country and our allies. Joining me from that perspective is Congresswoman Susan Delbene of Washington State. She's also the chairwoman of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and clearly sees some potential political opportunity for her party in this moment. Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Uh, happy to be here. So I, I want to first start with where we are, which is pretty astonishing, uh, even for someone like me that's been covering this stuff for most of my career. The fact that as you and I are sitting down here to record this, we are still um, 16 days now into a speakerless House of Representatives in an unprecedented situation of the speaker having been vacated. I guess my first question to you just is, what is it like to be a member of Congress in this moment of paralysis? Well, it's actually terrible because I came here to govern um, as many of my colleagues came here to govern. And we are in a situation where um, we're unable to govern until we have a speaker and we can do things like put bills on the floor and pass bills and make a difference for the American people. Um, unfortunately, it's not too surprising that we're here, given how this Congress started and the dysfunction on the Republican side since the very beginning. Um, some people predicted we could be in a place where uh, the speaker, there would be an argument about who should be speaker on the Republican side. And Republicans continue to be fighting with Republicans. And that's what's put us in the situation. And unfortunately, their inability to come together, their inability, they just don't have anyone who can lead, ends up having an impact on our ability to govern. And that's terrible for the country and for the American people. Now, President Biden is expected to request $100 billion of combined aid for Ukraine and Israel. And there's not a House of Representatives where that is able to move through. So when you say you're not able to do anything, what what will happen when the president's request arrives? It will just fall on uh, a, a defunct body. Um, well, it will come. The Senate may pass legislation and send it over to the House, too. But um, that is part of the dangerous situation that Republicans have put us in is their inability to govern in the majority means that legislation can't move through the House. And so it should be a huge priority. It is our huge priority. It should be a huge priority for Republicans, too, to make sure that we can govern. And we have reached out many times. The leader, Jeffries, has have offered to come up with a bipartisan solution so that we can actually have uh, governance work. 
But Republicans have been uninterested in that. They haven't been willing to have that conversation. They are, you know, too wrapped up in their own internal politics and inability to agree than they are interested in governing. And we that should be the top priority. And it could be. We could resolve this issue if they would come to the table. We could come up with a solution so we're able to govern um, even while they're continuing to think of a long-term speaker. Okay, let's take a minute and figure out what that looks like. So you say Leader Jeffries has offered some. What are some of those solutions uh, that Leader Jeffries has offered? And remember, as you know better than anyone, the House is designed to be a majority rule institution. And I, I take your point that the Republicans in the majority are unable to rule at the moment, uh, it seems. So therefore, what kind of a solution or offer of a solution has Leader Jeffries put forward to the Republicans? I think Leader Jeffries has done the, the basic thing that's most important is say, I have an open door. We want to make sure we can govern. Come, let's talk about how we do that. Okay, and but what does that look like? That's a great question. No Republican has even come to the table to even want to have that conversation. Um, what we care about is figuring out that path. And, you know, it's not, uh, there's not a specific solution there. It's about having the conversation, figuring out what that path is and making it happen so we can govern, so that we can pass uh, critical legislation. Let, let me try it this way. What would you want to see as a potential uh, concession from Republicans to get on board with some plan to offer your vote uh, to move forward in some, it, it's, I, I don't mean to be so cynical, in, in some bipartisan fashion that just seems unthinkable to me in the way the House operates. But what would, what would uh, the Republicans need to concede on some point for you to get on board with this notion? I think the the our overall challenge is figuring out how we govern. And governing means, can we bring bipartisan bills to the floor so that we can vote on them? You talked about aid to um, Israel or Ukraine. Um, can you do that? We have bipartisan support for both of those. Um, but a speaker could prevent any legislation from coming to the floor, even if it's bipartisan. So how do we figure out a way where bipartisan legislation can come to the floor so we can move? It's, I know it's, I know you want a bunch of details and specifics, but the real thing is how do you make that happen and what's it gonna take to make that happen? And that's a conversation with Republicans to, you know, figure out how that would work. Um, but that's really fundamentally the most basic thing that is critically important. Well, one thing I think we could agree on is uh, there is zero trust uh, between largely the two parties in today's American political landscape and specifically in the House of Representatives. So if trust is a requirement, it seems that that may be too high uh, of a threshold for Congress to jump at the moment in the way things are structured. So well, let me be clear. Big... Republicans don't trust Republicans. They can't even agree. They're fighting with each other. Yes, but Democrats don't trust Republicans and Republicans don't trust Democrats as well. But let, let's let's take the pie in the sky, bipartisan bills and, and sort of shared governing. Let's move that to the side for a moment. And let's talk just specifically about the notion of empowering the current temporary speaker, McHenry, with some more of the abilities to get the House operating. Apart from a real bipartisan governing of the House, do you think there could be some Democratic buy-in to that notion, because a lot of Republicans this morning, uh, as Jim Jordan clearly doesn't have the votes uh, to become speaker, are, are pursuing that, but clearly not enough Republicans to do it on their own. So would that notion 
uh, be something you're open to? I think Leader Jeffries has been clear that he's open. Um, his door is open. I get that the door is open. But have you or any of your colleagues in leadership seen actual proposals in any way that you can start wrapping your mind around and how, about how that would work? Republicans have talked to Republicans internally about how what they think they might want to do. But really, fundamentally, for anything to happen, in uh, to, for governance to work, especially in the environment we're in today, it has to be bipartisan. You hear them talk about only bills that have support from the majority of the majority. How about bills that actually have support from the majority of the body, you know, from the for of the house um, that can move through, or at least letting people vote so they can have their say. Um, this is, you know, we know when we had amendments on supporting Ukraine that we had strong support across the House of Representatives, but you can tell that Republicans and themselves are afraid to even have that conversation because it's controversial within their caucus. That's terrible. Um, we need leadership who wants to govern. Um, I don't see that leadership on the Republican side at all right now, which is terrible for our country in terms of making sure governance is working. Your colleague from Iowa, Republican Congresswoman uh, Miller Meeks, uh, described that when she flipped her vote from initially being pro-Jordan to then anti-Jim Jordan, she received what she called credible death threats uh, because of that change in position. What do you think when you when you hear that? It is terrible, and we should all have strong voices to denounce that. Um, I've, you know, in conversations that I've had with Republicans, Republicans have said that they have been um, afraid, uh, and that has factored into how they vote because they're concerned about what the reaction would would be, or whether or not um, they would face similar threats. Um, that should be appalling to all of us across the country, and yet. Um, Instead of standing up, that's kind of been something that, uh, you know, Jim Jordan in particular has seemed to um, try to bully his way into the speakership and um, and not inconsistent with what we've seen kind of actions in the past. But, gosh, we should denounce that. If that anything, that should make it very, very clear that he should be nowhere near the speakership. And to be clear, I should just say Congressman Jordan did denounce uh, that uh, episode and any threat of violence uh, once uh, that became public information that that that, that had occurred. But the, you, there's been conversation about that before this um, and people having concerns about that. Um, he and others have had the opportunity to really stand up and denounce that. And uh, and unfortunately, um, we've continued to see folks, um, Republicans, be concerned about these threats, understandably concerned about these threats. We're going to take a quick break. More on the chaos in the House of Representatives when we come back. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. We're here with Washington State Congresswoman Susan Delbene. So you are 
currently six seats away from the majority. You need to win six seats to get to 218 uh, and and be the majority party in the 24 elections. That's pretty narrow. Um, how relevant do you think these last two and a half weeks are going to be to the campaign that your incumbents and your candidates wage on the trail next year? Well, first, um, we need five more seats. Um, we have an open seat in Rhode Island. There will be a special election here soon um, to fill that seat. And um, and then we need uh, five more to be in the majority. And um, absolutely, are the recent events having an impact um, on the campaign? Absolutely. Um, you know, we are talking about the seats that are in play are purple districts across the country. Um, those are the seats where folks, if they have a Republican in a seat there, will could potentially be electing a Democrat. We have 18 seats across the country that Republicans are in, that President Biden won in 2020. These are the types of seats that we're talking about. And they are seeing members of Congress, their Republican members of Congress, vote in very extreme ways. These are folks who want to see governance work, who um, they're swing districts. And yet over and over, they are seeing uh, folks talk a moderate game. And then when it actually comes to voting, um, the actions they actually take are extreme. And even in their vote for speaker, um, Jim Jordan is an extreme candidate for speaker um, from every perspective you can look at. And We've got folks in these districts who have been um, willing to support Jim Jordan and the extremism he brings to the table. So, in fact, you there are 18 Republicans currently sitting in districts that Joe Biden won. Twelve of them, two thirds of them, voted for Jim Jordan. Only six, a third, uh, did not vote for Jim Jordan. And you imagine that Democrats will raise this issue. We're more than a year away from the election. Do you think voters are going to remember whenever this gets resolved uh, back to this moment uh, and and perhaps uh, cast a ballot accordingly? I think it's really important to hold folks accountable for the actions that they've taken. And so voters have heard that already. They're continue to see that. The actions just continue. It, it's a case that keeps building, right? Folks saying they, um, you know, are willing to support uh, women's reproductive rights, except every vote they take um, continues to support a national abortion ban, um, saying that they're moderates, uh, and then continuing to vote for huge cuts to important programs to American people, and then saying that they're moderates and voting for uh, an incredibly extreme, one of the most extreme members of Congress, trying to uh, vote for him to be speaker. Um, this is not just one piece of a story. It is an ongoing story. But it sounds to my ear like you're saying it is a piece that voters will be reminded of by Democrats Absolutely. come next fall. Absolutely. When you are sitting there in the House chamber and these votes are going on, what what are you discussing with your colleagues? Take us like onto the floor. If you could take our listeners, what is that moment like round after round of voting for speaker when it's pretty clear that the Republicans don't have someone yet that, has, that can get... 217 votes and get the body open and governing again. Well, what's really interesting is we have been going into um, these votes recently for speaker knowing that they're going to fail. In fact, Republicans know they're going to fail. So we are walking in um, with this exercise to see maybe how soon they're going to fail. Like, how you know, what letter of the alphabet are they going to get to before um, it's clear that uh, they're not going to come up with a speaker? Um, it's 
it's sad for the country that we are going through this exercise over and over again, um, as opposed to actually having a conversation about how there can be a speaker elected who can help govern or having that conversation, that bipartisan conversation about how we move forward. I don't know how many times they're going to have to continue to fail um, and argue with each other before we have some folks who are willing to come to the table and talk about governing, but clearly we're not there yet. Do you believe at the end of the day we are going to see some sort of bipartisan agreement? I feel like we need to because that's the path to governing. And um, hopefully people continue to hear from their constituents that they do not accept this ongoing chaos, dysfunction, um, confusion, extremism that they're seeing from the Republican side. Um, you know, that's going to be the best thing for the country. So I'm going to hope for that. Congresswoman Susan Delbene, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this week's edition of the CNN Political Briefing. We'll be back next Friday, October 27th, with a new episode. And we want to hear from you. Is there a question you'd like answered about this election cycle? Is there a guest you really want to hear from? Give us a call at 301-842-8338 or send us an email at cnnpoliticalbriefing at gmail.com. And you might just be featured on a future episode of the podcast. So don't forget to tell us your name, where you're from, how we can reach you, and if you give us permission to use the recording on the podcast. CNN Political Briefing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Madeline Thompson. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas. Greg Peppers is our supervising producer, and Dan DeZula is our technical director. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of CNN Audio. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com briefing. netsuite.com briefing.